Hello, and welcome to Read Scholars Live. I'm your host and current president of Read Scholars, Mary Fleming. And just to remind you, Read Scholars is an organization composed of physicians, dentists, and mental health specialists committed to collective action around achieving health equity. Our podcast is a platform to have conversations with health equity leaders and experts around uh, different solutions and innovative ideas um, to help narrow the gap to achieve or narrow the gap uh, between health equity, around health equity in this country. So with that being said, let's talk health equity. Today's guest is fellow Reed Scholar, Dr. Sanjeev Shiram. Sanjeev is currently a pediatrician in DC as part of the Children's National Network. He completed his medical training at UCLA before completing the Commonwealth Fund Fellowship in Minority Health Policy in 2009. Since the fellowship, Sanjeev has been very active, advocating for health health equity as a contributor to the Huffington Post, as a host of his own podcast, Dr. America, on We Act Radio, and spending a lot of time giving us food for thought um, on social media via Twitter and Facebook. Sanjeev does not shy away from the controversial tough topics and, and discussing current events and health as it relates to policy, economics, race, and equity. Um, I encourage you all to check out the his podcast episodes from the past, as well as follow him on social media to help continue that conversation. So with that being said, let's talk health equity. Um, Sanjeev, did I oh, that yeah, right? That was, did I mess oh, up was, anything? No, not at all. Not <laughs> at all. That was great. Thank you. Um, anything you'd like to add, any updates, anything that you've been working on recently that you want to share with us? Yeah. So my uh, most exciting development is I am uh, working over at Social Security Works, where I was uh, brought on as a senior policy advisor on um, issues surrounding Medicaid. And then as uh, the team over there and a lot of our coalition partners got to know um, about my work on racial equity uh, I um, I got to spearhead, and I'm still leading this campaign called All Means All. It's about making mm-hmm. racial equity a cornerstone of the Medicare for All movement and of the policy as it gets um, designed and implemented. Um, we just launched this year, so it's still pretty fresh, and it's uh, it's offering a very interesting and new perspective uh, about Medicare for All, um, both to uh, veterans of the movement and to newcomers. So really excited about that. Oh, that's very exciting. So we will we will stay tuned and see how that develops over the upcoming year and, and going on to the future. Um, and, and, you know, in reviewing, you know, your bio and all the things that you've done, um, I would like to step back just a second. Mm-hmm. And I always like our listeners to know how you enter the health equity space. Like, why is this important? How did you know, what motivates you, what gets you excited about it, and especially um, a little bit more specifically about the Dr. America persona uh, and how that has helped ease the conversation um, around health equity when you enter different spaces. So um, tell us more about that. Yeah. So, um, you know, I did my med school and residency training at UCLA and my uh, continuity clinic. So like that is the clinic that you go to once a week, every week when you're in um, pediatrics residency. Um, My clinic was in uh, West LA, kind of in South Santa Monica. Um, For people who don't know, that community is predominantly um, Mexican-American, a mix of um, 
of immigrants and people who were born um, in that community and everybody who's kind of in between. So a lot of um, mixed status families where uh, mom might be an immigrant, uh, dad might be somebody who was born here, their kids were kind of born on either side of the border. Um, and so, you know, I was very rooted in um, minority health uh, from the beginning of my training. And then uh, when, you know, as I was going through residency, I kind of uh, got more involved with policy just because in California, uh, there's ballot initiatives every year. Mm -hmm. And some of those ballot initiatives have a major impact on health. And so I felt it was important for my fellow pediatricians to know what the health impacts were of voting one way or the other. And um, so with the local uh, American Academy of Pediatrics chapter, um, a couple of residents and I put together voter guides um, for the elections um, during the time that we were in residency. And uh, that was kind of like my first entry into like, you know, policy and how does policy impact the communities that I was taking care of. And from there, I went to the Commonwealth Fund fellowship. And after that, I moved to DC to work on the Affordable Care Act. And, you know, it's, it's interesting when you're like fresh to, um, you know, coalition work in DC. Um, I felt it was important. I was with the National Physicians Alliance, and I was doing a lot of their communications work. And you show up at these coalition meetings. And you get to see a lot of cool, very progressive talk about health reform, um, and it was brand new, like, you know, like we were coming out of like, you know, the Bush presidency and like the economy was suffering. And so people had all kinds of different ideas, but I felt like minority health disparities was not getting um, enough attention. Mm. And when I would raise my hand, you know, to say like, hey, what about this? Like, you know, the provisions for in the ACA looked pretty good, but I wanted to see just some more emphasis um, you know, a lot of the coalition partners would say like, oh, you know, don't worry about that. You know, a rising tide lifts all ships. Um, you know, this is going to be, <laughs> yeah. And, but the thing is like, you know, I'm like fresh out of a, you know, policy fellowship. I'm new to DC. These people are all, you know, seasoned and experienced. So I kind of just took that as like, okay, like I'm going to, I'll learn from y'all. Like, you know, right. I, you know, <laughs> like, I'm glad I asked my question, but like, you know, um, and then, you know, you fast forward a little bit and yeah, the ACA is like, you know, it gets um, passed, it gets, you know, it, the first year of implementation is kind of shaky, but it's doing a decent job of decreasing um, some of the d minority health disparities in coverage. And, um, and that's largely because of Medicaid expansion. And so I um, was really vocalizing the importance and value of Medicaid in I think a lot of ways that doctors shy away from because, you know, a lot of doctors either are not familiar with the importance of Medicaid or they kind of just begrudgingly accept it. Whereas I kind of felt like, let's get out there with a megaphone and rally for Medicaid. And um, and I think that that was valuable to a lot of uh, anti-poverty movements at the time. And so I got more involved with that kind of work uh, during the Obama administration. Um, and you know, the the way that Dr. America kind of came up was, uh, it was interesting. Like, you know, I I was kind of uh, plateauing um, in my clinical work. Like, I kind of felt like I was looking at the advocacy that was going around uh, the pediatric space and at the hospital. And I was like, okay, like, you know, this is good. I get where, you know, you're trying to build some skills for some new advocates. But I wanted something that was kind of like bold and like, you know, to kind of go to, you know, those spaces that people had been 
kind of um, avoiding out of politeness. And I really felt like, you know, racial equity was something that needed to be discussed more. And um, I wasn't really finding enough uh, of support in the in the physician space for that kind of conversation, or at least for the kinds of advocacy that kind of like was, you know, kind of bordering more with activism. And so um, I, you know, turned to one of my friends who I had met through the ACA coalition work, and he had a radio station called We Act Radio. And I was telling Alex, like, you know what, man, like, you know, I, I mean, I love your radio station. If any of your programs need help writing, you know, health policies copy, or if they want to, you know, talk about race and equity and minority health, like I'm your dude, I can totally help write up this stuff. And I really was envisioning something very kind of like behind the scenes, because I didn't know anything about radio. (laughs) I was like, what do I know about radio? But I do know how to like take, you know, policy stuff and make it easier to understand, right? So, you know, Alex looks at me and he's like, dude, you've got a show like that's a show you should do that as like your own thing. And I'm like, man, I don't know anything about radio. Like, what am I going to like, you know, he's like, dude, nobody knows anything about radio. Dumb people get on the radio all the time. Like, you're not dumb. Like, you'll be fine. Like, just come up with something cool. That's like personal you and you know, we're going to do this. It's going to be a good show. And so I'm a comic book nerd. And, um, you know, a couple of my friends, uh, when I was like, kind of like kicking around names for the show and stuff. They were like, why don't you lean into your comic book nerd nerd stuff? And that's how, like, you know, Captain America, I reappropriated it for Dr. America. And um, and then that kind of became an activist persona, too, because I would wear I, I wear like a Captain America T-shirt with my white coat over it. And um, in recent years, it's been a really helpful persona and kind of um Uh, path forward because when you go into coalition spaces where you're working with communities of um, disabled people and um, people with like you know varying levels of education and income um, it you get to when you when they just see you show up one they're glad that a white coat showed up for you know talking about health because not enough physicians really do activism that's true um and then when they see a guy with a you know Captain America T-shirt on under his white coat, um, that's a it's it's an approachable person, you know. Like I mean, like clearly this person isn't taking himself too seriously. He's serious enough to be here, but not so serious that we can't you know work with him. And um, and so it's been a great experience. Like you know during the Trump regime years, it's been good to kind of join protests and rallies and um, and other kind of uh, movement work and you know be in those spaces where you're um you're really like you know standing up for uh justice in ways that i think are a bit more bold a bit more daring but are really necessary for the public to know that hey like you know doctors and on the ground people and everyday folks are coming together like you know this is what like solidarity looks like and that's been really exciting. I've been really uh, enjoying that and learning so much from it. I feel like um, it's been a, its own education um, these last uh, three years. And um, I'm re- I've been really grateful for it. And I really hope more doctors venture into that space because I think it's, um, it's a valuable learning experience. Like in, in a lot of weird ways, it makes you a better doctor. And um, I've really enjoyed it. And, you know, as hard as the work is, I mean, it's really, really enjoyable and fulfilling. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I love it. I, I think it's uh, I think it's a fascinating concept, as you said, to bring in, you know, part of your personality um, with something that's so important. And it's it's a great icebreaker, you know, even when you're entering these spaces to, before you even get to the nitty gritty of the conversation um, to have something else to kind of talk about. And and I agree. I remember when I was um, first starting out outside of Philadelphia and I was on some committees task force, if you will, um, in the community through the local health department. And, and I, you know, I was nervous about being there and about, you know, making sure I was doing a good job. And somebody said, we're just glad you showed up. And like you said, yeah. so many times, you know, physicians are not out in the community space and um, really understanding what's going on on, on, on the day-to-day -day <laughs> um, issues on the community level. And so uh, sometimes, it, you know, like you said, sometimes you just have to show up and, and go from there. So uh, we appreciate that you you took that leap. And I mean, I think you're doing um, a great job in, in trying to, to both um, tackle these tough uh, conversations, but also in a way that's really useful um, and understandable to a broad range of Americans. So um, I think we definitely appreciate that. And, you know, kind of transitioning back to today, um, you know, and, and we've got a lot going on in, in the political comment and, and talking about um, health policy and how it, it affects health equity. And you kind of gave us um, one example already, but, you know, are there any other uh, examples of, just to give context of a current health policy um, and, and how uh, we interpret it or interact with it, if you will, uh, will impact health equity on a broader span? So, um, yeah. you know, kind of going back to your examples, like, oh, uh, you know, if we if we pull everybody up together, um, is is true, and that is a true statement. You know, if you you help the weakest part of the most vulnerable part of the population, you will indeed help everybody together. Right. Um, right. But if we don't identify the vulnerable populations, right. then we can't help those. So, um, can you tease that out a little bit and talk to us? A little yeah, bit definitely. So, like, you know, to me, like, you know, I mean, I'm one of those Medicare for All activists who still is a fanboy of um, the ACA, and especially because of Medicaid expansion, right? And to me, like the Medicaid expansion under the ACA is the greatest extension of health justice to, um, you know, I mean, to minority communities since the passage, the original passage of Medicare and Medicaid in the 1960s. And the reason why I say that is because like, you know, before the ACA got passed, you had a very heavy disproportionate burden of being uninsured fall on minority communities, particularly African-Americans and Latinx uh, communities. And then with the ACA and with Medicaid expansion, um, you start to see some significant improvement in coverage, but where that, but that's kind of like where like a lot to me of like a lot of the positive story ends because not every state adopted Medicaid coverage and in states that did not, um, when you look at the African-American community, you know, um, African-Americans are twice as likely to be uninsured as white Americans in states that refuse to expand Medicaid. And, um, and so, you know, this many years out from the eight passage of the ACA, we're in a situation where you've got 28 million people who are uninsured and 59% of them are people of color. So as much as America talks about like, oh, we're going to be majority minority in 2040, 
the truth is, is that like America's uninsured are already there. Like America's uninsured are majority minority right now. And I, um, I bring a lot of this to the Medicare for all movement because um, historically the single payer movement has been um, predominantly led by uh, white professionals talking to other white professionals about the academic and, you know, um, other value of Medicare for all or single payer, which isn't necessarily wrong. It's just that it's not entirely relevant to the communities that I've been taking care of and the communities that have, you know, made me a good doctor. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's been interesting to kind of bridge that gap and help a lot of, um, you know, Medicare for all activists understand that there's a huge racial justice component to, um, to single payer if you were to actually center things on um, the minority health experience. Yeah, and I, I and I think when we start having those conversations, um, a lot of times there's so much pushback around the words and not actually yeah. the concept, right? And so yeah. um, it, it, it is interesting kind of to negotiate um, that space. And so I do, you know, I, I think, like you said, we kind of have to keep pushing it because at, at yes, we've gotten so much better, right? You know, hands down, you, you can tell that the, um, you know, even on a, on a person to person on a clinician level, you can tell that there's difference in the, the, the uh, number of patients that are being seen and the access that they're being had, but there's still such a big gap. Um, and, and if we don't address it at some point, then it's just going to, like you said, it's just going to continue to widen um, yeah. as the population continues to evolve. And so, and, I mean, and a big part of that is because I think that, you know, we, and, it's, and this especially is frustrating when you look at the current Democrat primary politics, right? Of we don't, like, there's not enough talk about why are the uninsured uninsured? You know, like, I mean, it, it's like, I think the numbers get thrown around and, you know, it's this many million people and all of that. But when you look at, like, why is that happening? And what it is, is that you know, when you really like look down at the at like who is not look down, but when you look at who is uninsured and why, it's that they are working at jobs that do not provide benefits. So it's like we are we are seeing a a um, erosion of the myth that if you work really hard and get a you know and get a job, you're going to get healthcare. That's simply not true. Like it, you can there are there is so much work getting done in this country by so many people working multiple jobs with no benefits. And so that's one element of it. And then another one is that a lot of people move from job to job, like, you know, and you can end up in, in job spaces where, for instance, just the recent um, strike against GM, there were people who were categorized as temporary workers, despite the fact that they had worked there for four years. Wow. Like what kind of work is like, you know, like, the, I mean, that's just nuts that you can have a job at a major corporation, think that, okay, like I'm going to get set. Like, you know, the pay is pretty good, but then you find out that you're being categorized as a temporary worker. And because of that, you're not going to get, you're not going to qualify for benefits, but the nature of the work is such that you have so many, like you can't go and find another job with benefits because this job has, you know, time constraints and, you know, like it's physically demanding. And so, you know, so many people are in these spaces, right, of like moving from job to job, state to state, 
and just going through different phases of life. Like, you know, you have like one kind of health coverage when you're a student, you graduate, you know, I mean, getting a first job is kind of rough. And so, you know, benefits don't kick in for a few months. All of those kinds of phases of life happen to all of us, right? But, you know, for a lot of wealthier white and some Asian communities, you have wealth to fall back on. You know, you're going to qualify for like being under your parents' insurance because your parents are not uninsured. You can be under their health plan for a little while. You might have, like, you might just by virtue of being wealthy, you might be healthier. But when it comes to a lot of our minority communities, you know, it's like, you don't have that much to fall back on. Like, you know, it's a, it's a lot harder to, you know, get that leg up on the, on the um, socioeconomic ladder, just because, you know, like, that's just not the way opportunities work anymore. And so I, I think that if people had a better understanding of why folks are underinsured, they would understand that what we've got in the status quo in the current system is simply not going to be sustainable for people. Yeah, that's that. I mean, and I think there's a couple of things I was going to say. One, um, you know, our, our as a as a people, not just as Americans. I mean, we're just so much more mobile uh, these days, and so the plans that were historically set for you know, in, in employed-based, state-based even, plans are not applicable for a lot of people anymore. And it's in yep. those gaps in insurance. And like you said, when you don't have that margin, you don't have that cushion, um, you know, and, and, a, and a relatively, you know, large hospital bill can really tip you over the, head, the edge. And so um, I, th- I, I agree. I think those are the things that we don't often talk about. Um, and even, you know, the, those who are insured, but it's still inaccessible, you know, with the large mm-hmm. deductibles and the, oh, yeah. know, the, the premiums are getting <laughs> more and more. Um, uh, yeah, Kaiser Family Foundation found that 53% of people with employer-sponsored insurance who have deductibles that are um, over $1,000, um, 53% of people with those in ki- those kinds of employer-sponsored insurance plans are not going to the doctor for necessary medical care. They're, uh, they're scared of the um, co-pays, the deductibles, and all of the out-of-pocket costs. And so these are insured people avoiding health care that they have earned as a benefit. Right. I'm like, that, this makes no sense, right. you know? Um, well, and kind of with that being said, that kind of leads into the next thing I was going to talk about. So we talked about, you know, we touched on that there's an election coming up, right? Um, mm-hmm. And trying to figure out, you know, for day to day when you're trying, we're trying to figure out which candidate is the best candidate for you. And, there, you know, I think everybody has their pros and cons. Um, and I think everybody should vote according to their personal, you know, interests and the interests of their families and communities and all of that. But my question is, how do we decipher because like you said in the in a lot of the debates that have been happening so far for me as an individual I feel like there's a lot of um bickering for like a better word yeah, and yeah, not a lot of yeah. actual discussion on the issues yeah. that would help you make a decision so I mean have you seen anything with the candidates that we have been um um you know I mean we could talk a little bit about what you know the the policies that are already in fact yeah. now but are you know if as if people if people are trying to make a decision do you see anybody who's actually expressing um some really good information or, or giving us good information on how to choose a candidate based on 
Yeah. So, um, so full disclosure, I'm a national surrogate for the Bernie Sanders campaign. So I've, I've made my choice and, (laughs) you know, like I am, uh, I am out there like, you know, getting, trying to get people to feel the burn and everything. But, um, but I, you know, I, I feel and recognize the spirit of the question and, you know, like, I mean, so how do you get, like, you, I can, I can tell people like, how did I come to the place that I came to? Right. Like, how did I end up choosing Bernie? Um, I can, I can say that what one that like, I appreciate that Bernie has never, like for all the years that he has been in politics, the man has never been bought. He has never, and he is like, he will compromise to the political climate of the time, but he, he is not going to bend from the pressure of lobbyists and things like that. And so what I mean by all that is that like, you know, he's been talking single payer for 40 years. Right. And yet when the affordable care act is a bill in front of him and it's clearly not single payer, he doesn't dig his heels in the mud and say, no, I'm not going to support it. It's not what I want. He's instead saying like, okay, cool. Like, you know, like, let's go with this because, you know, we've got forward momentum and I'm not the kind of person who's going to stop people from getting the kind of support that they need right now. Um, You know, he, I mean, is the kind of guy that like when he sees good ideas, he will support them and every now and then also offer ways of making those good ideas even better. Um, and so that's just him as a senator, you know, and I, and I've really come to respect that. And his staff is very much like that. I feel like his staff represents the kind of governance that most of us wish our members of Congress or that our, um, even our administrations would be like, where you call them up and you describe a problem, they are in troubleshooting mode immediately and they hold themselves accountable they want to demonstrate compassion and competence with problem solving and to me i feel like there's a lot to be said for a leader who brings in people like that because when he's president he's going to bring in like i mean you have to like imagine what it's like for an entire cabinet like a president's cabinet to function like that like when you've got like a secretary of health and human services who prioritizes compassion and competence, you know, that that's going to be transformative for this country. Um, And so his work ethic, you know, behind the scenes, I think is immensely powerful. And I don't think that people talk about that enough and he's not really the kind of person who's going to brag about it. So it's, it's really tough because if you don't directly experience it, it's, it's, um, it's very invisible because it's very humble um, hard work. Um, you know, as far as like the broader field of the current, um, you know, range of candidates, I feel like Bernie has never required, you know, questions of clarification. Like, what do you mean when you say Medicare for all? Like, he's like, I mean, all, like what part of all are you not quite catching on to? I can, you know, and then he like, he'll say, like, I can list all for you. Like all includes, you know, every man, woman, and child, all means every undocumented citizen, all means every transgender person. Like, he'll tell you, like, he'll clarify all if you want, like, clarification on that. But he's never been the kind of person who, you know, has to, like, he's never waffled. And so he's never had to, like, you know, really explain to people, like, oh, well, this is what I meant when I said that. And this is what I mean now. Like, no, he, you've never seen him do that, you know? Um, 
And then I think my last point about Bernie that, you know, really made me choose him is that, yes, Medicare for all is his number one health policy, right? But as, you know, as a doctor and as a public health person, I know that coverage is not everything. Like what else is out there that, you know, are you doing to help my patients, like not just survive, but actually thrive. And he is thinking about all of those other social determinants of health in a very robust manner where he knows you need to like, you can't live in a food desert and have Medicare for all and think that you're going to be healthy. He wants every kid in America to not stress about where is their next meal going to come from? Like he's got like plans in place to end hunger, you know, like when it comes to affordable housing, it's like, okay, like everybody, like homelessness is going to be on the way out with the Bernie administration. Um, you know, with like jobs, like he recognizes like, yeah, you might have to move from job to job because that's just the nature of work these days, but your job should be a place of dignity. You should not be getting exploited. You should be getting paid properly. You should be able to build solidarity with coworkers so that you can, you know, argue and fight for better working conditions or better pay or, you know, be part of the, uh, of the profits that you were contributing your productivity to. Um, these are all things that like are not discussed like health policies, like, you know, workers' rights is considered, you know, economic policy or worker policy. Housing is kind of like siloed away from health. But as somebody who cares about like and who has watched patients, right, like you've been in this place, too, where like you've seen like how like a bad housing situation can totally mess up and undermine all the work that you've been doing in clinic, you know, similarly with joblessness. So it's like the fact that he's got like this holistic, I mean, you know, like I think very layered view of humanity and then is like ready to customize it to all of the, the different communities of America. I, I just find that vision inspiring and that's something that I'm willing to fight for, you know? And I think that he is not like a cult of personality that says that I'm going to be the one, like he's not a demagogue. Like he's going to say like, I'm the one to do this right. for everyone. He's, he's saying, like, you know, his campaign is not me, us. And it, it's like, he's making it very clear that, like, it's going to take all of us putting in a ton of hard work. Like, none of this is easy. And we're going to face a ton of obstacles along the way, but we've got each other. And I find that, like, just so inspiring. And it makes me want to, you know, like, hustle and grind for the guy um, in ways that I don't know whether other candidates do that for me. Like, I think a lot of other candidates have like that classic mentality of like, I'm the one with the great ideas. And if you vote for my, me, you will see my great ideas come to light. And it's sort of like, okay, like that is very classic political trope, but like when it comes to transform, like, you know, really transformative work, I feel Bernie gets what's needed and is not shy about saying like hey this is like sweaty dirty difficult stuff but you know we've got each other and we can do it um yes i i mean i think um i personally don't have any uh affiliation so i i appreciate understanding how you um kind of got to that point and i think it's important for those listening that you know when you're looking at your candidate when you're trying to decide you know, those are some some issues or some characteristics is probably a better word um, that you can look and see is 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 this candidate really um, talking about things that are really going to affect my everyday life? And I think the other point is very true in that we talk about health and 
insurance and, and hospitals. But, you know, most of us know that most of the things that affect our, our health and our longevity and our well-being, it's all, it's outside of, you know, the, the one-on-one medical interaction in the healthcare system. And so, you know, if we don't have these other policies in place, um, to make sure <clears throat> our, you know, our air is clean and we have access to food yeah. and we can get back and forth to work and we have jobs and um, that type of thing. Then, you know, some, you know, part of these other conversations are moot, but kind of, kind of with that. And, and I, I guess kind of, as we wrap up and close out, um, you know, I kind of wanted to ask you what, you know, what innovations do you see or do you forecast changing the landscape of health equity going forward? I mean, I think we spent a lot of time talking about, um, you know, your thoughts on Medicare for all. And, and I mean, that would, would be a huge uh, change. <laughs> um, yeah. and, you know, I, I, I guess we would have to he- hesitate to call it an innovation, right? Because it's been around for a long time and <laughs> lots of other countries are already uh, on board. So right. it, it probably isn't an innovation, if you will, it would be different for us. But um you know, any, any, I always try to end with a little optimism. So what do you think is coming and what are you hopeful for? To me, like, I I think the things that I'm most hopeful for, right. Are because like, you know, right now with Medicare for all, there's like so much talk about, you know, how much is it going to cost and how are you going to pay for it? And I'm like, there's a great buffet of options for how to pay for it. And I think you can make a pretty damn good plate from any of those options and nobody could really fault you for picking a little bit of this and a little bit of that and put together your plate and it's a good meal. Like you can really, you know, do quite well financing wise. Um, To me, the better questions are how are you going to redistribute all these savings? Mm. You know, like when the average doc is not, you know, wasting three weeks of every work year on paperwork and haggling with insurance companies, what does that doctor do with their time? Do they see more patients? Do they, you know, sharpen their skills? Do they um, take more time with their family to avoid burnout? Um, You know, and like, that's just doctors. Um, When it comes to like our, you know, the communities that we love and care for, um, you know, I, I point to a very small but very significant fact that happened with uh, the children's health insurance program back in the late nineties. Um, when parents saw that their kids were going to be covered and that the coverage was going to be reliable, stable, you know, the kids are going to be fine. Parents looked at their own work and was like, okay, so I don't need to stay in this crappy job for the coverage Mm. for my kids because my kids are going to be okay. Let me take a step back and I'm going to bet on me. I'm going to invest in myself. I'm going to take a risk and get out there. And you found like this little, there's like an economic report, which I need to dig up and reread. But what it showed was that there was this little blip of entrepreneurship that started among parents, where parents were betting on themselves and starting small businesses and, you know, pursuing their dreams. And I'm like, with Medicare for all, like how many people would bet on themselves? Like how many communities would look at their own, selves and feel like you know what we're not under this boot anymore like we're not like constantly afraid of like what's the next medical emergency how do we like how do we like take that you know like that like when you take anxiety like that out of the Mm -hmm. picture what do people do with their potential and I'm excited for that I think like that's just awesome like the you know that there are people who would you know build businesses that there are artists who are 
doing like lame jobs somewhere just for health coverage who would actually get back into creating art like i mean that would just be awesome like i feel like there's so many different things that people would be doing with their lives that would strengthen themselves that would make their communities better that um and i i don't know how you account for that in spreadsheets Mm, you know like that's not something that like I can put like a congressional budget office score on like, that's not like, you know, that's not the way that we usually talk about healthcare, but like that is a real human experience that like, I mean, that just gets me jazzed up, you know, like I get pumped thinking about that and it makes me want to fight for stuff like Medicare for all. I, I, I like it. I do think that is ending with a very high note of optimism. And I mean, I, you can't argue with that when you take that level of anxiety, um, you know, that burden off your shoulders, if you will, that does open up the possibilities of, um, you know, being a better, having more potential as a, as a human being, whenever that looks like for mm-hmm. you. So um, I, I, I like it. I think that is a great way to close out our, our podcast session for today. Um, so thank you so much, Sanji, for joining us. I appreciate uh, all the insight that you've given us today. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to share with us your social media handles so people can follow you and see, um, you know, see what you have to say and share with us um, going forward. Yeah. So on Facebook, I'm facebook.com slash Dr. America show. That's DR and then America show on uh, Twitter. Um, it's Dr. Sriram, D-R-S-R-I-R-A-M. And on Instagram, uh, which I need to get better about, but um, <laughs> we're, I, I'm new to it. I'm new to it. You know, it's like it's very visual. But anyway, <laughs> uh, my Instagram handle is um, uh, dramerica underscore all means all. I like it. All right. Well, thank you again. And uh, we look forward to seeing what else you have in store for us in the future. Awesome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.